Neighborhood Church. To find out more about who we are, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. My name's Chris. To all our online friends, uh, we are still working out our kinks um, of, of trying to get the sound good and, um, and make a good... Hi, Becca. All right, Becca. If you guys don't know Becca, I'm going to introduce her. She, this is our first time, first time coming back since the pandemic. Uh, Becca is on our board. She is one of our council people, and so she is a huge reason of um, how we can keep this whole thing going. So thank you, Becca. I, was, I did not expect to slap your own back. You learned that from me. All right. So we are continuing our series called um, uh, Reimagine, and here's, here's why. Um, as you evolve in your... Um, knowledge and as you evolve in discovering what it means to be you as you evolve and grow in uh, and transcend in your spirituality there's some things that um, you're gonna maybe leave behind that you carried with you for a long time and maybe some of them at one point were life-giving and they're not anymore but then there's other things that you don't necessarily feel the need that you want to put down and they still have some sort of um value or life to you, but the word or the way it was done or the way it was handed to you, that doesn't work for you anymore. And um, there's a lot of us like, online, there's a lot of us here who I've talked to who said that's kind of like your story. Like, so I, learning from my partner, uh, Nikki, and um, one of my friends, Jen Birch, they would say, Chris, like, just change the word. Like, can you change the word? Can you have the same ethos? Can you have the same vibe? Can you have the same feeling or value and just change the word? And that was a game changer for me because words like, um, uh, <laughs> we did a reimagine on uh, evangelism, Lissa's favorite topic, right? <laughs> right? Well, I believe in it, but not in the way that it was expressed, not in the way that it was modeled to me anymore. But the idea of like, how do I share this life-giving story of what it means to be the fullest you? Like, I'm all about that. Uh, reimagining what it is about prayer. Like, there's a lot of people when I talk about prayer, they're like, no, I'm a bad prayer. Like, you are a professional prayer, Chris, and it's true. Uh, but I am not. I am a bad prayer. And what if we could reimagine what prayer is? And today, we're talking about community, right? And here's the thing. I'm going to grab this stool. You're never going to hear from me, and this might be the worst church growth strategy in the entire world, but you're never going to hear me say, if you want the best of God, you got to come to Neighborhood Church. That's my, that's my sales and voice. It's really good, all right? Like, I, I really don't believe it. If you're going to get the best of God, you have to be at Neighborhood Church. I'd even say, if you want the best of God, you have to be part of a church. I really don't believe that. I think community is found in lots of different places. Community is how can we inspire each other? How can we flourish? How can we thrive? How can we have a sense of belonging? And you can have that in a bowling league, right? You can have that with coworkers. You can have that... In AA, you can have that in a dart league. I'm trying to think of other communities. You can have that with, like, your extended family. You can have that singing karaoke, strawberry wine all the time, right? You can find your people. Bike clubs, book clubs, right? There's a, a lot of different um, ways of getting community. But what kind of community do you want? And when we think about church, right, that is a form of community. Like, one of the reasons that we put this on 
isn't just so you can come and hear me talk or I can hear my own voice, right? We want to make it as easy as possible for you to find friends, for you to find belonging, for you to find inspiration, for you to find a connection to something amazing, um, simple music. That's what, this is like an easier way. Into the um, but it really um, something like on Google, like why church? And I found several people that wrote these articles and saying, You cannot be a Christian, you cannot be a Bible believing Christian if you are not a member of a church. And I, th I was, <laughs> right? I was like, I'm like, wow, I never really thought about that. And what they highlighted some verses, which, um, if that works for them, if that leads them to a place of inclusion and love and groundness and loving the neighbor's self, like, like I say, go for it. But what they do is they take a couple things that Paul wrote and some things in Psalms, and um, they kind of make this meaning to saying, well, now you have to be a, uh, a part of a church. And if you're not, you're not a Christian. And to me, that's like really really intense, because what if, like, you broke your leg, right? That's the first thing I thought. What if I broke my leg? I can't go to church for, like, three, a couple, 13, 14 weeks, right? Did I just lose my Christian card? Like, how does this, how does this work? And what I found was having that expectation is how a lot of people carry themselves when they think of church, right? Like, when, if I um, bump into someone I haven't seen, like, you know, I see John, I haven't seen John for a while, and I said, hey, John, I haven't seen you for a while. Most, and I'm saying this about you, John, just because you're right there. So most people are like, oh, Pastor, I'm so sorry. I haven't been to church in like two weeks. Uh, and that's not why I ask. I'm not asking like, well, I haven't seen you at church. You should get there. But a lot of people, that's where they start because they have this expectation of there will be shame from the pastor or the church leadership if I don't meet this criteria. And like that, is, I'm like, like the furthest, furthest away from that. And what I found is when people um, look at the Bible and try to say, well, this is what church should be, what they're doing is they're looking at Paul mostly. And Paul planted a bunch of churches, and he had this structure, and it was a way of doing church. It was a way. And you know what? It works for a lot of people. And actually, there's some really beautiful things that Paul, like in his, like, um, his value of what church was. Because the church that like, he helped plant was a mess. It was completely messy. And what he did is when he says um, there's neither male nor female, no slave nor free, what he is talking about at this table, because they would meet in homes and at this place, at this table, everyone is included. There's this level, there's this level place of where his goal, his idea was that there would be equity and inclusion and life. But what ended up happening, if you read uh, 1 Corinthians, there's one pastor that um, did a whole message on um, 1 Corinthians, and he called it Christians Gone Wild, right? Because he had this idea of what it should be, and it was a mess. If you read chapter 11, which is where a lot of um, people read um, about um, communion, right? Because Paul references uh, Jesus' the Last Supper, and he adds a couple things. <laughs> the reason he's, like, giving instructions on communion is because right before that, he says, hey, Stop getting wasted at communion, right? They'd be bringing in uh, some wine, they'd bring their own food, and they would eat, and they would, um, they would get drunk, and they're having a good time. The whole time, while there's other people 
right, who don't have wine, who don't have enough food, and they would be kind of put to the side. And Paul is saying, when we come together, we are going to share. We are going to uh, be connected. There's going to be this place of where um, everyone really is included. And he ends the chapter, Tom, I don't know if you know this, he ends the chapter saying, and if you really need to do that, go home and do it. <laughs> he told me, he's like, if you really need to have that much drink, just don't do it at church. Just go into your basement, right? And which is kind of funny. So um, that's like Paul of how he's doing church. But what he's getting behind it, like the ethos, the, the life behind it, is that there is, this, there is this radical community of inclusion, which I love. And there's some people who want to, like, we got to get back to, like, the early church standard and only meet in homes, and I'm a big fan of that, if that works for you. But what I want to talk about, right, is take that same value, take those same, um, I keep using that, that, that same culture, and, like, what can we apply it to us, and in Hebrews, now if you've ever read Hebrews, we don't know who, who wrote Hebrews, right? Could be a she, could be a them, could be a he. But it goes all over the place. It's, it's wonderful. And they get really intense, and then they back up into like these like um, big pictures, ideas of like what it means to be um, a human, what it means to be a part of a spiritual community. And in uh, Hebrews 10, this is what they write. Let us hold on to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful, verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So there's a couple things here, right? This is like where they pull back and say, what could it look like to be a part of this table or this community or this church or this space in this house. And right in the middle of it, they do, again, what I just said, how people think pastors are, saying, hey, we should get together and don't skip like a bunch of you are already doing. Right? <laughs> they, like, they totally like call it out. But what, what's the big picture? They said, let's spur one another on in this hope that we profess. Let's encourage. Let's notice. Let's, like, be the best humans possible, and let's do it together. To me, that's what any community that I want to be a part of. So I'm going to give you a couple of things of thinking about how can we continue to evolve and move forward as a church or a dart league or a biking league or um, karaoke, whatever it is you're doing. If you're like, what is it you really want? And that's the first question is you have to think, what is it that you want out of your family? What is it that you want out of your coworkers? Because <laughs> some of you are like, I don't want, whatever you're talking about, I don't need at work, right? What is it you want out of your dart league? What is it you want out of like your extended family? Because if all you want is what I call um, barbecue high five friends, if that's the extent of what you need from friends, you can get that, right? Where there's no depth, you don't know their middle name, <laughs> right? They don't know, they don't know your story. You don't ever share personal things. There's no talk about like restoration or justice. It's just like ha, 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 high five, and that's that's it, right? And I do. There's seasons where that's really what I want. Right? There's times when I'm with my friends, I'm like, I don't want to talk about all this. I simply just want to exist and eat some food and laugh. But what I really want is a circle of friends. What I really want is a community. What I really want, you know, for my workplace, what I really want is a place of where we can go deeper, where we can be the real, our real selves, where we can be curious, where we can be a mess, where we can celebrate, where we can say, what does this even mean, when we can, like, collectively... Like, do something more than just tolerate one another. And that's when I found out, like, a lot of people live their life in their community as just tolerating one another. So, how do we move beyond that? First thing is this. What I want for this church is I want to be a church that can be vulnerable. 
And this is not some new concept. This isn't some brand new idea. What I, when I was thinking about this and meditating on this is that to be vulnerable means you have to be your true self. You have to be the real you. And so many of us, we show up in places trying to be someone we want someone else to see, right? We try acting, like for me, when I went, I put on my seminary shirt today. Because do you guys know I'm in seminary? I'm a big right? Um, uh, why am I saying? Oh, seminary. Because my, my first, like, two weeks in class online, books were holding in my hand. And I would look at myself on Zoom. It's an inquisitive face. Yes, yes, tell me more. Yeah, yeah, right? I tried using words I've never used before, and I, my whole idea was, like, uh, like, these people are brilliant, right? All these people are smarter than me. I'm the dumb one, and so I have to somehow trick them into th- to listening to me, trick them into even listening to me, trick them even to believing me is really what it, what it came down to. And it took me a while to realize that like, we're not all as smart as we think we are, and we all have questions. We all have insecurities. But I thought, like, why do I do that? And I do that a lot, a lot of other places. Like, for me to be accepted, I have to look like this. I have to be like this. If I'm a really, this is like the, the one that goes through my head. If, I wanna be, if I'm a really good pastor, well, then I do these things. The truth is, I don't do all those things. <laughs> and so I'm like, maybe I'm not a really good pastor. I think I am. But there's this idea of that the real me will be rejected. And I don't want to be rejected. I want to be included. I want to be liked. I want to be loved. I want to be um, believed. And there's this narrative in our heads of thinking the real us is a threat to a good life. But who told us that? Who's out there setting these standards? Who's out there saying this is what it means to be attractive? This is what it means to be accepted? This is what it means to be holy? This is what it means to be good? Like, why can't just the real us just be enough? And we all like the idea of that, right? We're like, oh, yes, Chris, I'm, right now, I'm going to decide to be vulnerable until you meet your in-laws. And you're like, whoop, close that up quickly, <laughs> right? So there's, like, there's this idea, and I use this in all my weddings, and like, it has like a two-thirds return rate on laughter, right? And I say, like, the goal of marriage, <laughs> the goal of marriage is to be as naked as possible. And then people either laugh, or they're like, where's he going with this? And that's, <laughs> right? And I go to Genesis 2, of where it says, Adam and Eve stood before one another naked and felt no shame. And when we think about being naked, right, we, well, unless you, you, if you're like me, right, I usually attach shame to it, thinking, well, I've got to highlight the parts of my body that I think are strong or sexy or good or pleasurable. And that means then there's certain parts of my body that are not, right? And it could be true, but there's this idea of why is... Why is the real me? Why is my body? I instantly started at a place of shame, right? Like Adam and Eve, they stand before one another, and they start at a place that their body, their presence, their, uh, their creativity, their whole self is a gift. It's something to be celebrated. It is something to be given to someone else, not as I guess so, but as a celebration. And how would that change? If we could start at a place of seeing ourselves, the real us, as a gift, as something to be celebrated, as something that is holy and something that is sacred. We could show up into spaces, we could show up into our dart leagues, we could show up at the church, we could show up in a lot of places without feeling that need that we're automatically be rejected. But who gets to decide that? You do. You can decide of how vulnerable you want to be. Now let me, before we move on, I'm going to make like a big statement and then I'm going to go back to value. 
being able to say, hey, we should just be vulnerable and show up as a real us is an incredibly privileged statement, and I'm aware of that. That there is, um, there's a lot of different um, intersections, other um, groups of people that don't have that. It's not as easy for them to just show up as themselves, right? Like, um, my son and I, Cole, he is now 15, and we don't get a lot of time, like, where we're like, hey, there's just you and I for dinner. So we went out for dinner, and this young woman was our server, and she came out and she served us. And I told a joke that clearly was hilarious. And, um, uh, and she laughed, and she did the, the courtesy fake laugh. <laughs> All right, see you later, right? And Cole goes, Dad, clearly that joke was not funny. We all know that. Why did she fake laugh? And he's, he's like, I, like, I don't understand why people would fake laugh. I'm like, well, Cole, A, it was a killer joke. You were wrong. And B, we had a discussion on of um, power and differences between genders, right? And how from talking with my wife, talking with other friends, is that if a man makes a comment or makes a joke, um, a woman, I'm not, this is not a universal truth, but it's not uncommon, a woman will laugh to wrap up the conversation, to not make the man feel insecure, to not say, look at him like, this is really awkward, and then the man might get angry, or might go on, or try convincing the joke is really funny like I'm doing right now, all right? So, so just to wrap it up keeps it safe, keeps it quick, and they can move on and make the man feel good. I'm like, hold, oh, this happens everywhere. It happens everywhere. You've probably heard stories, read stories about black women and having to change their hair and spend hours and hundreds of dollars to make the hair look different so that they can be more acceptable. And how workplaces have said you can't wear your hair in the way that is natural to you, right? Why? Because you have to fit like us. You can't be your full self. People um, in the deaf community, right? It's going to be very different of even I asked one of my friends to speak, and they're like, yeah, I really want to have a... Um, uh, a translator, not translator, 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 interpreter, thank you, interpreter there, and it made me think, I'm like, oh, yeah, we, we have, uh, we have a different experience in that community, there's like, so there's all these different intersections, like, there was a, there was a, someone that I was able to connect with, and um, they were trans, and they wanted to dress, um, in a different gender's clothing, and their parents said, you're, you're not allowed to do that. So the only place that they could go was to someone's house and give them their clothes so they could show up, dress, and feel accepted, and feel loved, and find this sense of peace. But they couldn't show up as their true selves, even in their own home. So I just want to say, like, to say, hey, we should all be vulnerable, show up as a real self. Like, so yes, but what I'm advocating for is that in our communities, what can we do to make that the norm? Not the norm. What can we do to make it comfortable for people to be their real selves? How can we, in our circles, how can we in this church promote equity? So, like, using language, recognizing privilege, all those things. So when people walk in, they can read the room and say, oh, this is a place where I can be me. Because when you find those spaces, and I hope you have, if it's not here, hopefully your family, your friends, maybe your work with a therapist, um, whatever it might be, finding a place where you can be vulnerable is like the first step. Because whatever you want in community, it starts with this. So a church that is um, <laughs> vulnerable. And the second one is this. Is I, I would love to be a church. I'd love to have a community where we can be, uh, right? I was talking to my friend Melissa. I'm going to call her out over here, right? And we're talking about this podcast we're listening to, and it's, it's amazing. It's triggering. And I said, what if we could just start church 
Actually, I didn't say this to you, but this is what I was thinking. What if we could start church like this, all right? Hey, guys, welcome to Neighborhood Church. My name's Chris, one of the leaders here. We're going to start with a time of worship. And so if you wouldn't mind standing, we're going to scream into the abyss, all right? <laughs> Stand up, sit down, whatever you'd like to do, all right? And like one, two, three, we always go, ah! right? There's something, there's something having a place of where we can just vent, right? What if we could have a church? Maybe we don't scream into the abyss. But what if there's a church where you could just, if you, hey, you have to be vulnerable, you can come in and be a hot mess, where you could be in total celebration. You could be totally indifferent. You could be full of anxiety, full of depression, or you are peaking in the joy department, whatever it is, where you can come and process. And why? Why is this a dream for, uh, for, of mine for our church? Is because it is hard work moving the ways of Christ. There's moments where it's easy, and, and there's, it's like, the Lord is my shepherd, I have no needs. And there's days where it's like, Lord is my shepherd, there's nothing but needs. <laughs> like, there's, it's hard. Because moving in the way of Christ, right? theoretical children, not my own, right? Of the kind of parent that this theoretical parent is of giving their kids autonomy to process, to use language, to dream, to think through who they are as a person, who they are as a spiritual person, who they are on cultural issues, is a lot of work. And one of the reasons that we're doing this is teaching them how do you have consent, not just over your body, but over your intellect, and over and how you dream, and how what you want, and what you're pursuing. We're trying to help them have the independence. That is exhausting, right? It is exhausting, because it's way easier to say, Get your shoes on. This is what you think. This is right. This is wrong. Right? This is holy. That's not. Don't ask. Don't talk back to me. Get in the car. Way easier. Right? Way easier than giving them that autonomy. And I think that is a very, for us, that is a high value for us of trying to discover them full selves. It is exhausting. Right? Working with people that you feel like continually underappreciate you. Right? That could also be parenting as well, right? <laughs> right? Working with people that you say, uh, I'm giving my best, I'm showing up, I'm showing a place of love, of generosity, benevolence, and these people keep taking advantage of the system. They keep taking advantage of me. And I do believe you have to have boundaries. I'm not saying be a doormat, but to show up still giving your best is exhausting. So if we are vulnerable and we have a church, of, uh, then you can walk in and maybe what you need is to clink glasses with someone else and say, I'm exhausted. And for, for someone else to say, keep showing up. If you were doing any kind of, and I say justice work or liberation work, whatever word you want, you're doing just a minimal, it is exhausting. To continue to continually say, hey, hey, those, those aren't their pronouns. That's not my pronouns. It costs, for the, the person who you are misgendering, um, I, I've done it multiple times, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. It is a lot of work, what they've told me, is a lot of work for, for them to, to, to continue to bring it up, right? If you're doing any kind of justice work where someone uses a racial slur in some joke and they are not even aware of it, right? I have a friend that said this word, and I'm like, hey, man, you can't, like, we, we, we don't use that word. And they're like, oh, but it still costs me something because it feels awkward. It did, it feels awkward, but I'm going to keep doing it. It is exhausting. So having a place... What if neighborhood could be a place where you could show up and hear Sarah sing some beautiful music, and that's enough? Maybe it's dropping off your kids so they can be around some positive, safe adults, and they're having a good time, just so you can be away from them for 45 minutes. What if it's a place where you can come and you can cry? 
And you could say, I'm not well. I don't know how to, I don't know if I can do this anymore. What if it's a place where you can come laugh? What's a place where you can come and pray with one another? What if it's just taking communion and that is what you need? I'd say all of that belongs. Why? Because the work that you're doing is important. Like what you're doing at the library, what you're doing with your kids, what you're doing in styling hair, what you're doing in um, showing up in the world, making a positive place, what you're doing with your art, what are you doing in housing, what you are doing in garage door businesses, what you're doing at AA, what you are doing in this world matters and keep doing it. And when you feel like you're all alone, you, you feel like I'll just quit or not just quit. I will slowly die. That's where a lot of people are. I'll just slowly die. And I'm just going to continue just to tolerate more and more. And I'd say, you are worth it. And the work that you are doing is worth it. So what if this could be a place of where you can be reminded? Because what do they say in Hebrews? Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's this community, right? It's not about all that we agree or all that we believe, all the same things. It's that who you are is important and what you do matters. And keep doing it. So the third one, and this is where I end is want to be a church of vulnerable, a church of primal screams, and a church of um, um, confession, right? Do you guys get warm, fuzzy feelings at that word, confession? You hear that word, you're like, oh, yeah, let's do that right now. Let's do it, right? And why? Why do we have negative connotations? It's because, at least for me, I was raised Catholic, and you know, my first confession, uh, you know, even though the, the priest was like, I just saw the priest, but he stepped around. There wasn't even a door. He just stepped behind, like, this little thing, and all of a sudden, I'm not supposed to know he's there, and then I, I, I kneel down, and I look, and all of a sudden, it's like, I didn't know what to knock or not, and so I just waited, and all of a sudden, it's, he's like, hello, Chris, or well, I don't remember what they say, like, what did you do wrong, or whatever, right? And I didn't know what to say, because I'm like, I'm nine. I don't know what sins I committed, right? And so, like, I'm, I lied. I've never said this publicly. I lied on my first confession. <laughs> I'm confessing that right now, right? I don't remember the father that I had. My father, Roar, right? Um... I said, like, I, I, I'm like, oh, it was my brother's birthday, and I popped the balloon, and he felt bad, and, wow, I haven't thought about that for a long time, so uh, the, I got that, and I just, I'm, see, a church of confession, this is working, right? Well, we, we have negative connotations, because we think we're going to be shamed, we're going to think of, like, you did what? <laughs> right? James says, in the book of James, it says, confess your sins to one another, and you will be healed, why? Is that some supernatural thing? Is that something that only in the, in the Christian tradition that we find to be true and anything outside of that is not? No, it's a human thing. It's a human thing. Of when All confession is, is putting words to what you feel. It's putting words to what you need. It's putting words to what you have done or what's been done to you. That's all confession is. And when we don't have words, when, when we carry that inside of us, you've, you've been here before where you thought something something was done to you, or you did something, or you even just have a need that you, you feel embarrassed to ask your partner or ask your friend or ask your boss for something you need. You just let that sit inside of you, and what does it do? It just kills you. It drags you down. And when you've talked to your therapist, or you talked to a friend, or you talked to a boss, you talked to your partner, and you finally, like, got words out, you put words to it, you confessed, what, what do you usually feel? Usually feel... Relief, right? People say, oh, I feel like I lost a million pounds. I feel like a load of bricks got weighted off me, right? Why? That's what James is saying. When you confess your sins, when you confess your needs, you are healed. There's healing in clarifying and being an advocate for what you've done, what's been done against you, or what you need. What if we could just normalize confession, right? What if we could just, like, you could show up. And, A, to do that, 
They have to be vulnerable. There has to be a place where you can show up as the real you. And there is a place, a person, or a small group, or uh, some, some people, right, where you could say, I need to confess that I'm not as a good a parent as I think I am. Right? I need to confess that I, um, I don't know if I can do this whole spirituality thing anymore. I feel very confused. I confess that the words that that person said over me 15 years ago is still robbing me of joy and peace today. I, um, I did, I, one, I've done this, <laughs> look at me, I've done this thousands of times because I'm such a good person. No, there's one time where something that, um, something that I um, experienced and saw when I was in fifth or sixth grade, and I didn't tell anybody. I just locked that down. In reality, it wasn't like this, like, well, I'm not going to put what's good or bad. It killed me. And I kept it with me until I was like 32, 31. And finally, during this church service, they're like, hey, come on down if you want. You feel like you need to confess. And I, I mean, I, there'd be like three times a year I'd wake up in the middle of, of my sleep sweating, thinking about that. And I'd be like, I'm, this, you guys have been here before, this is the day I'm going to change. I'm gonna, this is the day I'm going to talk about it. This is the day I'm going to make that phone call. And then I'd wake up in the morning and be like, this is the day I did the same thing yesterday, not doing anything about it. In that moment, um, the guy said it. I walked down to a complete stranger, and I, I confessed. I said, this is what I saw. This is what I felt. And I bawled. Just lost it. Snot everywhere. <laughs> right? And the guy let me crying snot for a while, and then he um, put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, Chris, you are dearly loved, and you are just a boy. And for whatever reason, like those words, it's like, <laughs> gone. I, I still think about it, but it doesn't, I don't wake up in the middle of the night. I don't have anxiety about it. Dearly loved, and I was just a boy. <laughs> Moving on. Spent a lot of time in therapy about it, too, but that helped. But <laughs> those, right, those those words matter. What if, that ju- what if that's just what we did? We just got together, and we worship, and we take communion, and we sing songs, and we listen to the guy up front, but a lo- somewhere in the process, we just said, um, the real me is not a threat, and maybe I've done something that is hard or bad, or maybe something has been uh, hard or bad done to me, and you're not going to be excommunicated. You're not going to be shunned. No one's going to say, you did what? <laughs> right? Hopefully what you're going to hear is that you were you were fearfully and wonderfully made, and you were loved by this good and beautiful God, right? And your sins are forgiven. This is my dream. This is what I, I've always wanted for our church. This is what I want in my group of friends. This is, I'm not in a dart league, but if I was, I hope we can confess our sins during dart league. <laughs> I should just join one. You guys want to confess some sins right now? Who's vulnerable? All right? So what we're going to do is we're going to stand up, and I'm going to pray for us. And then uh, Sarah is going to come up and... Sarah and I did not talk about this, but Sarah's going to um, rap a hymn for us. Sarah's, Sarah's going to, they're going to just, can you just sing one song for us, or part of a song? Would you mind, Sarah? Um, you have, you can be vulnerable, and you can primal scream if you want and say no if you want to. You can confess on microphone too if you want. Here's what I want, is maybe you're here, and um, one of those three things just stood out to you. Maybe you feel like you've been showing up trying to be someone else. You're trying to impress someone else, and the energy you're extending to that is just exhausting. It's killing you. Or maybe you do need to have a primal scream. Maybe you do need to cry. Maybe you do need to like, just get that out in you. Or maybe you need to confess. So 
as Sarah is singing, as they are singing, um, I would encourage you to connect with the divine. Connect with God in however you can. Like, for me, it helps at times to close my eyes. Sometimes it helps me hold my hands open. Sometimes it helps for me to look out the window. Whatever it is for you, connect with God. And if you feel prompted, like, I'd say maybe you need to confess to God. Maybe you need to be vulnerable with God. But after the service, if you'd like, we're going to put some music on, and you'd like to process, you'd like to, uh, or you'd like to confess, you could find someone in this room that you trust. You can find me. I'd be more than willing to do that. And we could pray, we can confess, and we can primal scream. So let me, let me pray. So God, we, we love you. And I thank you for the, that, that picture of Adam and Eve fully themselves, not just before one another, but also in front of you. And there was no shame. There was vibrancy. There was love. There was acceptance. There was flourishing. It was a gift, something to be treasured. Where I start is I ask that you'd help us see ourselves that way. That we can belong to a community. We can belong to a group of friends. We can belong to a family and not just be the good enough person, but that we are a gift, that we are deeply, deeply loved. And I ask that you would give us uh, your spirit, give us that energy to trust that we can be our real selves. We don't have to be happy, smiley, fake laugh person all the time. We, we can be exactly who we are, and that's enough. And help us be able to move into places where we can get clear put words to what we feel and what we need so that there can be healing. And I pray you'd help us be, able, be aware of how we can process when we're exhausted, that we can continue to do the good work, but we don't have to do it alone and we don't have to do it on empty. So Holy Spirit, fill us with your love, fill us with your compassion, fill us with your wisdom. We love you. No. 